Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach. It's good to be here. Good morning, Center Church. Ooh, that was weak. Good morning. Good morning, Center Church. That's better. That's better. <laughs> it's, it's good to be here. I'm here with my wife, Jamie, of 44 years. Um, and uh, she, uh, she, she's been to the um, later service. She hasn't been here with the early birds yet, so this is her first time here for that. And our, and our daughter, Janelle, she's our oldest. Uh, she's Jeremiah's mom. Y'all know Jeremiah. He's normally my um, armor bearer. Uh, but uh, Jamie didn't think he was doing a good job keeping an eye on me, so she came this time. Actually, Jeremiah is filling the pulpit for me over at New Life this morning, so be praying for him. Uh, this year will mark his first year in ministry, and so be praying and asking the Lord to work uh, in his life. I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Mark and to uh, entrusting me with his pulpit. I, I enjoy these times of coming over here at Libertyville with Center Church, and uh, actually Center Church has made me somewhat of a local celebrity. I don't know if y'all know that or not, but it, yeah, just Center Church alone has done that. I was up in uh, Kenosha, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, my wife's hairstylist is up there, so when I go up with her and uh, take in the coffee shop and Chick-fil-A, right? And so this, was, this has been some time ago, actually, because uh, we were still wearing masks and all that stuff. So I had a mask on. And I, and I go in and, and I order a bunch of stuff I probably shouldn't have ordered, but, you know, it's, it's Kenosha, so you can have some fun when you're up there, <laughs> right? And uh, the young man, I wish I could remember him, but a young man was behind the counter. And again, I have a mask on, so uh, I order. And he didn't, they, they ask you your name when your order is complete, right? Your name for the order, but he hadn't got to that point yet. He had just got my shake in that I had ordered. And he says, you're, you're, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I'm like, uh-oh. And I, he goes, Pastor Love. I said, yeah. I said, yes. He goes, you preached at my church, right? And I, he goes, I go to Center Church. I'm like, oh, wow, man, you remember? He goes, I won't forget that voice. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so we fellowship for a moment. I didn't want to detain him too long because he was at work. I thought that was interesting, and, uh, and, and, and I was grateful. I'm like, wow, he remembered, even through the mask. And so then here recently, it was this year now, I'm over at Tala. I think that's the way it's pronounced, Tala or Tala in, High, in uh, Highwood, right, at the coffee shop, right? And so, again, I go in, and if that young man is here, I don't know if he is or not, but, and uh, he goes, <laughs> Pastor Love. I'm like, boy, this is getting pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to start bringing me a pen to do autographs for people. And uh, he goes, you preached at, at my church, at Center Church. And I'm like, why? Man, you're the, you're the second person that's done that, right? And I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm on my best behavior. Because <laughs> you could imagine, you know, if you're going to a clown, you know, acting crazy. It was a crazy world today. People are mad about everything, right? So you can imagine, you know, acting crazy up in there. But I'm grateful that, you know, the Lord, uh, was, I was sanctified that day. Those two days, anyway, but uh, just thankful for, um, yeah, these young men who, um, and, and your ministry. Thankful for the uh, ministry of, of, of Center Church and on behalf of the Crete Collective. And um, we thank you for your generous support of um, the, our church planting mission. You know, we're trying to um, reach difficult areas, and it's because of churches like Center Church that come alongside us, in this, even in this past year, 
that we were able to add three church planters, uh, which makes us, brings us to a total of 10. Um, and we began this church planting mission right in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. So we have been at, not even at our third year, and we're supporting uh, 10, 10 church plants. Yeah, somebody say woo again. Woo! These, our mission now, and this is interesting, our mission, and you all know this, I think, is to uh, plant gospel-driven churches in, in, in neglected, you know, neglected and, and distressed areas, uh, typically neighborhoods and parts of cities that there's just not a lot of church planting going on. Church planting is very popular. It's, it's happening in, in many denominations and church planting organizations, but typically they're in suburbs or they're in areas that we call hood adjacent. So they're just right outside of, 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 of difficult um, neighborhoods. So our mission is to be specific and, and try to fill a void in, in church planting mission in our country in particular and reach um, churches or reach people in neglected black and brown communities. So all 10 of the churches that we, have, that we are supporting are in forgotten, uh, deserted by infrastructure, and exploited communities. All of them specifically are in communities like that. So on behalf of Joshua Rolak, he's in Congress Heights. It's a neighborhood in Washington, D.C. And Kevin Middleton is in Yonkers, New York. And Nestor Gomez is in Lexington, Kentucky. Creston Thomas, he's in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Byron Cogdale, he's in Daytona Beach. Now, some people say, Daytona Beach? Well, I like to plant a church there, right? But he's in the Midtown area. It's called Midtown. Midtown is a community that, that, that really sprang up after the Civil War, and it was the area where only black people, ex-slaves, were allowed to live. So it's nowhere near the beach. As a matter of fact, they weren't allowed to go to the beach. So it's an area that, as a matter, you might know of uh, Bethune-Cookman, uh, Cook, Bethune it's an HBCU, started by Mary um, McLeod Bethune. It's in Midtown. So it's, a, it's a, again, a neglected area, and that's where Byron Cogdale is. Keith Babb is in Tampa, Florida. Jeremy Barahona, he trained at Trinity. He's in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, Domingo Bivens is in Houston, Texas. Um, Ayo Amapariola is in a town, a neighborhood of Houston called Alif, Texas. Sam No, he's in West Anaheim. Now, again, West Anaheim or Anaheim is known as Disneyland, right? Oh, that's a nice area. I'll plant a church there. He's in West Anaheim, right? And so if you're in West Anaheim, you would not know that Disneyland is in East Anaheim. You wouldn't even know. That's how disconnected these communities are and how depressed or distressed his community is. So we're just asking you to continue to pray uh, for our board and our staff and, and these brothers and sisters who have given their lives uh, to ministry. And again, Senator, we're just grateful. We're grateful for uh, your support of, a, of us and keep, keep, uh, keep praying. Well, uh, Mark didn't bring me here to do a discourse on the Creek Collective. So let's hear the word of God from Psalm 34, verses 11 through 17. 11, I'm sorry, 11 through 14. Psalm 34, 11 through 14. Come, come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear 
of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's the word of God from Psalm 34, verses 11 through 14. I came across this prayer uh, this week. I'd like to pray it this morning. Divine Spirit, illumine to us the words of the Lord. Show us the wealth of glory that lies beneath the old familiar stories. Teach us the depths of meaning hidden in the songs of Zion. Raise us to the heights of aspiration that are reached by the wings of the prophet. Lift us to the summit of faith that is trodden by the feet of the apostle. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen. You know, some people are intimidated by knowledgeable people. You know, they feel and act strange when they're in a room with people more intelligent than themselves. Actually, I love it. I love being around people who are smarter, who are smarter than me, even when they're jerks. I still, I still love being around them, right? Um, I, love, I love, you know, hearing folks discuss their area of proficiency. Uh, like this morning talking with Alex, knowing that music is his area, it's, it's his lane. And I just love hearing people talk about what they know, their, their stuff especially Bible scholars. I love being in a room with, with, with very, very prominent or well-studied theologians, people who are more skilled at Scripture than, than I am, and I love to hear them talk about whether they're a Hebrew scholar or Greek scholar, an Old Testament or church history. I just love hearing them talk about their area. You, you learn so much. I especially like being around people who have labored long, in, in, their Christian, in their Christian pilgrimage, uh, people who have spent many years with the Lord. They can teach you. They can teach you so much. They teach you even by accident. They teach you a lot, right? We had such a mentor. His name, his name was Pastor Crockett. He was a church planter in Chicago. He was planting churches in Chicago, south and west side of Chicago, back in the late 50s, early 60s. He was planting churches. You know, when it wasn't cool, he was planting churches, Right, he's with the Lord now, and uh, but I'm telling you, Jay and I would be sitting with and talking with with Pastor Crockett, and you would come away with a wealth of practical Christian insight that would go with you for a lifetime. And 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 it's true because he's gone to be with the Lord, and his wisdom is still is still helping me this day. The verses that I have been assigned indicate a sage. A sage is in the house. Someone who's put some, some miles in. They have worn out shoe leather and perhaps they have the marks of wisdom and depth on their brow, right? Uh, this person is, is uh, experienced with experiencing the Lord. You can tell the way uh, the verses open up. You can tell how matter of fact and to the point he is about his intent in these verses. So let me offer two observations to help us navigate these four verses. They're simply this, just two. Uh, these verses offer us an invitation and a lesson. That's all there is to it, an invitation 
and a lesson. If you remember those two words, uh, you'll get the gist of what I'm going to share uh, with us this morning. An invitation and a lesson. Look at verse 11, the eight part. Come, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's, that's an amazing invitation. It, it's an open invitation, right? As, as a matter of fact, it's an open invitation from God to everyone who opens their Bibles, right? It's an invitation to come and, and, and to learn. So we need to hear it afresh today. We need to hear God invite us afresh to, to understanding and to knowing him and to experiencing him. Now, since David, we believe, is the human author, uh, he's the instructor in this passage. So imagine, if you will, uh, that you're, in, you're entering a classroom and, and David is there, right? And David is at the desk or perhaps in that setting, the classroom is just a room and you're sitting around one another uh, and David is somewhere in a prominent place and, uh, and you know that you're entering this, this, this venue with, with this person who has spent a considerable amount of time in the presence of the Lord. It's not a weak invitation. When he says, when this guy says, come, listen to me, you, 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 you kind of automatically, you, 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 you submit to that because you know that you're going to give something from this, this person that's going to be beneficial. And it won't be flippant. It'll be something that he spent time with, contemplating, working, and living through. It's nothing like talking with someone who's lived through what they're talking about. You can feel it when, when they're expressing it, when they're, when they're explaining. This guy has spent his time, his energy, and his gifts contemplating the Lord. He's an expert. He's proficient in what he's about to instruct us in. Or better yet, what he's inviting us to experience. One thing I love about the book of Psalms is that they're experiential by nature. In nature, they're experiential, right? Um, they invite us to come and live with the author as the author lives with God. Such beautiful poetic, poetic language. And they use it, the writers, the authors of, of the Psalms use this language to say to us, this is what life is like. Uh, for pilgrims on their way to the celestial city. The Psalms pull no punches, do they? They disclose the good, the bad, and the ugly of God's people, the ups and downs and failures, faithfulness and infidelity, joy and sorrow and, and victory and death. So in all of the roller coaster-like events in our lives, Psalm 34 11 through 14 offers this glorious, life-changing invitation. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you something about the fear of the Lord. Well, you know, one of my favorite pastimes, you might have picked up on this, one of my favorite pastimes is visiting coffee shops. You, 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 might, have, you might have noticed that, right? 
I try to listen. I try to have all my meetings at a coffee shop. Like, hey, can we get up? Can we hook up? Meet me at the coffee shop. I got some really, really important personal things to talk about with you, Lewis. Meet me at the coffee shop, right? We can get it in at the coffee shop. My favorite one, of course, is Dripping Culture in Waukegan. If you haven't been there, you need to go, all right? Adam Carson I mean, does a great job and uh, such a warm little place. So one of the things that, that I do when I visit a new shop, when I went to Tala, I wish I hope I meet that young man uh, over in uh, Highwood, um, I, I test the, the person in the coffee. I want, do they know what they're talking about? So I'm like, what, what are the notes? What are the top notes? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? What does a coffee taste like, bruh? What does it taste like? And so I want to hear them explain to me the different, how the coffee is set up and what I can experience, you know, as I drink. And so, and so some of the coffee shops uh, have come up with some really elaborate descriptions of coffee. And so the roaster that uh, Dripping Culture uses, in my personal roaster out of North Chicago, they have great descriptions. This, this is how they describe their coffee. This is one of them. A creamy coffee fe featuring a floral aroma, lively raspberry, and sweet coffee cherry notes, balanced by a chocolate richness. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. And then this one, literally, it says under, literally, this coffee is grown on a mountaintop. This well-balanced coffee combines a creamy texture with candy sweetness, milk chocolate richness, and a hint of caramel or caramel, however you want to pronounce it. My, my, one of my favorite ones is the last one. This organic coffee is smooth and balanced with sweet praline, rich toffee flavors, brightened by a lively hint of citrus. And I can see some of you coffee drinkers now, you're, you're salivating. I can see you right now. Like, man, where's that shop? Right. Here's my point. I think this is the point that the, the, the psalmist is, is making. None of these descriptions can take the place of lifting that beautiful, dark, divinely inspired nectar to your lips and tasting it. All those descriptions are fine. They pale at the actual taste of the coffee. This is the beauty and the wonder, beloved, of this grand invitation. Come, O children, says the instructor. And you could almost hear the enthusiasm flowing out of him. He's getting ready to talk about the Lord, the one whom he sought and, and who was answered and delivered. Uh, the one whom he cried to, and he heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The one who encamped around him and delivered him. I sense this invitation filled with robust enthusiasm was full-throated. It wasn't just a, oh, come on, children. It was a, come and listen to me. And then earlier in the psalm, three or four of the verses begin with the, with the little two-letter word, oh, it's not, oh, it's like, oh, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a, it's, it's a robust, it's, it's enthusiasm. It's full of vigor and life, brothers and sisters. Oh, fear the Lord and come, oh, children, and listen to me. 
something I want to teach you. All of these are grand expressions of what it means to experience, to actually experience the Lord. And to come away with what we sang this morning, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Only the person who has experienced the Lord can say that, brothers and sisters. And when they do, then they will, with resounding voice, they'll be saying, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come and listen, and I will tell you about the Lord. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I long for a heart like that, right? A life that, that overflows with enthusiasm and, and holds nothing back when I'm talking about the Lord. I'm talking about a life with so much experience with the Lord that, that you end up inviting everyone you know to come and learn and share with me. This is a kind of experience we are being invited to in this song. One that overflows in us, causing us to invite everyone to come along and share in this experience. That's, that's, that's the experience. My, my second point is the lesson. The lesson. The invitation in verse 11 to the cla- is to the classroom of the author. Today's lesson, today's lesson, says our author, will be on the fear of the Lord. It's, it's a vital lesson, right? It, it's, it's essential if we desire, if we want to experience the Lord the way the psalm has been talking about from verses 1 to 11. If we want to taste the Lord, if we want to magnify the Lord, then we, we must know what it means to fear the Lord. And so our, our instructor says, let me tell you how to experience, to have this experience of the Lord. So we bristle, we bristle with, with fearing, fearing the Lord. But don't, don't be concerned, brother, sister, fear of the Lord is, is, is it's like a, a, a stock phrase for faithful Biblical religion, that's all it is. That's all it means. It's, it's, it means faithfulness. It, it means being biblical in our faith. So, 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 so ask anyone. Ask anyone you know. Ask yourself. You know, if, 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 do I want a Christian experience that's biblical and that's faithful? Do I want that? Because that's what he's going to instruct us in. That's what I want, brothers and sisters. I want a faithful faith and a biblical one that's rooted in the scripture and that oozes with the experience of the Lord. It it, it goes hand in hand with praising and magnifying and making our boast in the Lord, verses 1 through 3. It, It goes hand in hand with seeking and looking and crying out to the Lord, verses 4 through 6. It is the same as tasting the Lord, verse 8, and taking refuge in him in verse 8, and seeking him in verse 9. It's the same as desiring a life of many good days, verse 12. 
These are all expressions, or they all refer to what it means to have a biblical, faithful relationship with the Lord. Our author, who is believed to be David, he says, pull up a chair and let me teach you what this entails. Invites us to be instructed on how it's done. So you want to know what it is to experience God? You want to be instructed on the good life? Pull up a chair and I'll tell you exactly what that looks like. Did you, did you notice that uh, 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 a point of clarity in verse 12? Uh, it kind of, it's real, it's, it's, it's real uh, uh, relative. It, it, verse 12, it, it says, uh, who, who wants to have many days and, and live a good life, basically? It's a paraphrase. He's talking about the good life. So somehow the good life, it's the same as fearing the Lord. They go, but here's, here's what's crazy, right? Because if you ask most 21st century Americans, they wouldn't say that, right? So I took a, I did a little survey, I did a little online survey. I just asked the question, what is the good life? And you can do this too, and you get these same answers, right? Here's some of the answers. Happiness, pleasure, that's the good life. Somebody said peace. All right. Everybody probably said money. Money's a good life. All right. How are you going to have a good life? You don't have any money. You can't afford a good life. <laughs> right. Someone said a good reputation. What other folks think about you? Right? All of these are, you know, what people would call consider a good life. The problem is they all moving targets, aren't they? They all have moving targets. So to one person, it might mean something, or to this, in this time of my life, it might mean something, or it might be something else later on, or to someone else. So it depends on who you're talking to or who you're talking about. The good life is the aim. The Bible is not afraid of talking about the good life. It's the aim, according to verse 12. It's part of this instruction, according to verse 11. And verse 12 links back to verse 8, which is, Mark says, it's really the theme of this entire psalm. Oh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right? And so then the good life over here in verse, they, they kind of mean the same. Now, now, if verse 12 explains for us verse, I mean, verse 8 explains for us verse 12, which I think it does, then, then what we have then is that this is a promise. It is a promise. Because verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It, it, in other words, I, I, I sense verse 8 says, if you taste, if you taste, you will see that the Lord is good. He's the chief of the good life. You won't have a good life outside of knowing, experiencing the Lord. The author has invited us to the good life through this beautiful song. Experience life with God. 
verse 12, the instructor holds it out again to us. If you want a full life of goodness, God's goodness, then listen to my instruction. That's what we desire. I know I do. Lessons in verses 13 through 14 are really on the good life. This is how you have the good life. All right? This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. What experiencing God looks like. This is the good life. The fear of the Lord. A faithful biblical experience involves at least three practical godly assignments. I use the word assignment on purpose because we're in a classroom of an instructor, right? I'm going to teach you. So he's given us three assignments that we, we must do if we want to experience the good life. I, and I love this. You know, I, I love when preaching. I love giving folks assignments. I, I really do. You know why? It's kind, of, it's kind of warped because I hated getting assignments when I was in school. <laughs> so I, it's kind of cathartic for me. <laughs> <laughs> I get to give somebody some assignments, but I'm not doing it. The psalmist did it this morning. I just got to tell you what the assignment is. There's three of them, three assignments, right? And, and, and before I get into it, let's off the cuff. Um, there's no experience of, of, of God's goodness without corresponding godliness. That's the thrust of these assignments. There is no experience of God's goodness without corresponding godliness. The way of the righteous. That is how the faithful should live in the goodness of the Lord. Here's three assignments. Controlling our speech, number one, verse 13. Or as we say in modern day parlance, Watching our mouths, right? Clarity of this first assignment leaves all without an excuse. We don't have an excuse because it's just that clear. The cross references for this verse are numerous in any of your Bibles. You can go all from Genesis all the way to the very end of Revelation. From Proverbs to James, we are instructed on the godly use of our tongues, brothers and sisters. We, I mean, it's just sometimes, I mean, things are just so clear sometimes. You have to go into a long discussion. You keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And I doubt that, that here in our gathering, aside from some of the younger folks, uh, I think we all kind of understand what he's talking about. So I'm going to read a portion from James that, that further uh, illumines this for us on uh, or on, on the clarity of proper use of our tongues, and then I'll move on. And matter of fact, in your Bibles in James chapter 3, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's got a, a, a title that says, Taming the Tongue, in most of you, if you have an ESV. So it's, it's very simple. In James, I mean, he's very straightforward. Verses 5 through 12, this is what he says. So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. There's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. 
setting on fire the course, the entire course of life. And it's set on fire by hell. It's interesting. It's interesting how our tongues can be doing the business of hell. For every kind of beast, it gets real practical. Every kind of beast and bird of, and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse man who's made in the image and the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James, James understands the lesson of what it means to live the good life and to fear the Lord. It won't happen if we have a nasty mouth. There goes most of the use on the Internet, doesn't it? There it goes, there it goes. We shut Twitter down, shut down Facebook, and all came together, Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Shut it all down. Because most of us, most believers, are failing with the use of our tongues via the keyboard. Huh? So here's a summary of our first assignment. Here's your summary for the first time. Very, very simple. Stop talking evil and stop lying. Stop using your tongue for evil and stop using your tongues to tell lies. Stop lying. And it's pretty simple, isn't it? The second assignment is quite as, just as clear. Change your direction of our lives, right? So the first one is the C, controlling, right? Next one, next one is change, change the direction of our lives. That's 14A. We transform from doing evil to doing good. It's an action step, right? It requires at some level activity on our part. It says it's not enough to be free from doing evil. It's not enough to just stop something. You have to stop something and then start something, right? We must be full of doing good. And, and I think I, I, I'm convinced that, that when we are actively doing good, we're not leaving much room for doing evil. So this, this is a, an, an, an action step. There's no place in the good life of the Lord for the passive bystander, person who's comfortable with sitting in the bleachers while the rest of the team struggles on the field. You've heard the adage, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, right? I can do and say what I want as long as I'm not, I'm not hurting anyone. It won't fly. That won't fly for the, for the one who fears the Lord and desires a good life and, and loves many days and wants to experience the goodness of the Lord. We must not be hurting anyone 
at the same time of he- with helping other folks, not hurting and helping. You remember um, the parable Jesus told of the man that, that, had, that had a demon and, and he left and the house was swept clean and that was it. And the demon returned and, and brought some of his homeboys with him because the place was nice and clean and just waiting for them. Well, he, he stopped something, but he didn't start anything. He didn't start any good. So he left room for the bad to come back with even greater force. So, 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 our, our psalmist says, oh, you're talking about the good life. You know? Stop hurting people. Start helping people. Here's a summary of a second assignment. Stop doing evil and start doing good. It's just that simple. That's a good life, right? You, um, that's pretty simple, too, brothers and sisters, when you think about it. It's one of those assignments you have every day. So instead of just waking up in the morning, deciding how I'm going to get through the day, how am I going to, I hope I make it through the day. Why don't we wake up and before our feet hit the floor, why don't we ask the Lord, what, what good can I do today? I mean, be real specific. Now we're going to go to work. We're going to carry out the tasks that are before us. But what, what specifically good can I accomplish for someone today? Open my eyes up. Let me not walk past the opportunities. There's so many of them to do good to someone, for someone. Today, in many cases, that someone might be in your house. And if you can't find someone in your house, I guarantee if you go outside your house, you're going to run into all kinds of folk you can do good for. Stop doing evil and start doing good. Lastly, the third assignment, it's also very clear. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and and, and pursue it. Again, we're not to be passive, but we are to be in pursuit of peace. We ought to seek it. Work it out. Jesus promises that peacekeepers will be identified as the children of God over in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. They will be known by their relationship. Isn't that something? They will be known by their relationship with God. They will be called the children of God. They will be called that. In other words, those who are peacekeepers, who are Pursuing peace, everyone looking around them will identify them with their relationship with God. These must be children of God because they're peacekeepers, right? They're they're seeking it and they are pursuing it. The Experience of the the good life, brothers and sisters. It involves the fear of the Lord. 
the, the fear of the Lord has three assignments. We, we watch our mouths, right? We, we seek to do good to folks, to help folks. And we, and we seek peace. Now listen, this is far from being exhaustive. This, this is not an exhaustive list on what all it means to follow the Lord. But as one expositor says, but it's a good starting workable kit of what it means. In his first epistle, Peter grabs verses 12 through 16a. Peter understood, and it must have resonated. I'm sorry. I told the group, I said, you'll tell it by the inflection in my voice. When I cut it down a little bit, you'll know it's time. I actually got 10 minutes left, y'all. Y'all go, I'm just kidding. I don't have 10 minutes left. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Come on back up here. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Come on, Michaela. I'm just messing with you, right? <laughs> I, matter of fact, I only got really a couple of more lines, and I'll be finished. <laughs> I just took my voice down too soon for him. You picked up on it, though. You picked up on it. This is not all what it means to fear the Lord, brothers and sisters. This is not all what it means to have a genuine, experiential relationship with the Lord. But we know Peter, Peter thought it to be uh, essential. To, to, a, to a, Christian, a Christian life. He thought our behavior uh, will determine, you know, our relationship, our experience of the good life. And so he, he runs it almost from chapter 2 in his first epistle to the very end. He's running an, an exposition of what our teacher was talking about here in Psalms. He urges believers to keep our behavior attractive, right? All around the pagans, who are all around us. What a word for us today. In our divisive community and culture, what a word for us to, as believers to keep our behavior attractive for pagans to see. Christians must must do this, he says, in our relationships, in conflicts, in his generations. See, he's expounding on what the psalmist said in, in, in our expectations. So according to Peter, these assignments are for Old Testament believers and New Testament Christians. All generations of God's people should sit under these assignments who would know the fear of the Lord. And who would desire to experience his goodness. Come, O children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. It's quite simple. Stop talking evil. Stop lying. Stop doing evil. Start doing good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is the way for those who desire life in many days of God's goodness. The good life is only found in him. And the way of godliness such a great invitation, isn't it? It's one of the grandest invitations of all time. And you, you don't have to wait to RSVP, brothers and sisters. You could accept the invitation right now. Just simply say, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes to your word and yes to your will. Let's pray together. Oh, the lesson is simple, Lord. 
but profound. The experience is grand and glorious. May we learn our lessons well. May we do our assignments with precision so that we might know and experience your goodness all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.